Hello and welcome to White Sand Noise Podcast. I'm Oscar Brummel, and before we get started today, I'd like to talk to you about how you can support this podcast via Patreon and some of the benefits of doing so. For five euros a month, you get access to WCN TV, which is bonus content, including follow-up interviews with guests, solo episodes on specific topics, noise reviews, and more. For 10 euros a month, you get all this, plus access to the White Sand Noise Discord server, giveaways, like I recently gave away two copies of the Treyarch Serza tape on Hatband, and some very exclusive content, which is going to be coming very soon. Thank you to everyone who supports, and an extra special shout-out to the heavy sponsors of the podcast, John Ingram, Tony Stovic, and DF, for your strong support. If you're new to the podcast, there are dozens of episodes on YouTube already, including interviews with Therita, Vomir, Jason Krumer, Eva Moisture, many, many more. If you've been tuning in for a while, thank you for watching and supporting. If this show means something to you and you're not supporting yet, please consider doing so now. Go to patreon.com slash white noise to support. Now, without further ado, let's get to Macro Joe. Hello and welcome to White Centipede Noise Podcast. Today my guest is someone who, I use the word legend a lot, the word legend gets thrown around a lot, but today is a real, real legend. I've had legends on here before, but let's just say this guy takes the cake. Mr. America Noise, please welcome Joe Romer of Macronympha. How are you? How are you, Oscar? Good to see you. Joe, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to have you take some time with me and uh, answer some questions. So just kind of jumping right into it, um, I was wondering if you can kind of just tell me from the beginning the the Macronympha story, like how it all began and, you know, the run you guys had and into now. I mean, I want to – I think – Everyone wants to know the full story, and you know if you're willing to to start at the beginning, if you're willing to also share a little bit about beforehand, you know, like a bit about your your background personally before before that all began. My cat's going crazy. Yeah, I'd have no problem with that. Like I said, I uh, I started out like you know like anybody else, pretty much that went into this, curious about electronics through like being in a punk band. Like in the 70s, when electronics changed from all analog to like, you know, the boss pedal started coming out and digital stuff started happening and, you know, our very crude digital stuff started happening. And so, you know, uh, making noises and listening to stuff, you know, like Hooskadoo and stuff and the guys, you know, making all this pedal noise. And uh, I just said, wow, I think I like the, the noise better than because i wasn't a good guitar player at that point i can play real well now but back then i sucked so <laughs> it was more i was having a lot more fun with the noises than i was playing the guitar even though i was writing a lot of angry political songs i was getting 
you know, mm. my emotions out that way. It was important to me. But, uh, yeah, when I started doing that, then, you know, when I moved here to Pittsburgh, it was like 1987, and I met Liz, and, you know, being one of the first cutting-edge colleges on the Internet, we had access to lots of information everywhere. So I started, you know, getting into the futurists and reading everything that I could about all that, and then all the people that, you know, came before with the Oppenheimers and all the electronic people that invented synthesizers. And then I saw movies that I'd seen as a kid that used a lot of this equipment. And it was fascinating, you know, soundtrack people that had used that kind of equipment. And then the Japanese guy, like Toro Takamitsu, who had done Japanese films and had done all this Foley-type Hollywood, you know, sound-backing-type work, but in Japan. And so, you know, when you get into the sound creation part of it, then, you know, Liz, I was able to learn a lot of that. And, uh, you know, there was a good scene here. There was already a few bands here. There was, like, the P Children, and there was Minozin V. And, uh, you know, and I uh, started, you know, listening to some of the stuff that was local. And then, you know, I met Ron. And then through right after I met Ron, I met Roger. So, right, you mm -hmm. know, through the catalog of Triple R, I learned a lot. Because by then I was wanting to hear, you know, like Mertzbau, and I wanted to hear right. K2, and I wanted to hear Incapacitance, and but and Eric Lundy, Boy Dirt Car was a big thing back yeah. then. John Duncan, oh, yeah. I met John Duncan. We met uh, Dan Burke from Illusion of Safety. I thought some of mm. that stuff was really, really well done, and Dan kind of showed me a little bit of the trick of using com contact mics on metal mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. different pitches with that and that was just phenomenal stuff they were doing back then so that's how kind of i got into it and then you know it just once i met roger i had this very brutal very you know energetic approach and roger had the more cerebral audiophile approach where he could do looping mm -hmm. with reel-to-reel -reel tape decks he knew about digitech space echo machines and different looping stations and he was doing all this kind of looping work so roger mm -hmm. was doing the looping I was making the brutal noise, and it just meshed great. And we had a nice little yeah. run, and I got nothing but good things to say about him, even though everybody wants to stir up shit. It's not going to happen <laughs> because I still love the guy, even though I couldn't stand to be with him. Yeah. So, Macronifo began in 91, correct? Like, Right, 1990. Ni 1990, I okay. was kind of like on my own until I kind of met Roger. So we we did our okay. first shows in '91, but actually we started making tapes and all that. Like the end of like I was doing stuff at the end of '89, and then '90, you know, Roger was somebody I'd worked with. I didn't really know him, but I yeah. was doing stuff. And then '91, when I kind of we were working together, and we were talking, we started hanging out. Then we did our first show. I think was '91 for Manny Thiner at um, the Beehive, I believe. That's when mm -hmm. we had a guy <laughs> that was local. He owned a gigantic recycling metal junkyard. He had a dump truck. This Pittsburgh area was not very affluent at the time, and it's not like it is now a technology center. It was like a bunch of broke ex-steel workers that mm -hmm. needed money. So the guy mm -hmm. easily loaded up a whole dump truck full of metal, sold it to us, dirt cheap, which is still in my basement. That's our noise dungeon. And wow. he brought it to the show for us. So that was our first show was this big, gigantic production thing with sledgehammers. And we had a 300-pound granite Jesus. We cut the head off 
outfit. We had things. We had yeah. we made a hole in the floor. We had power tools. Everything was going crazy. So once that happened, then we got a, a, a name. And then things, yeah. then people started to invite us. Manny Thider asked us to do the seven-inch subterfuge. Mm-hmm. And then after that, Ron, you know, kind of took notice of us a little bit. Yeah. And uh, Donna Clem from Artware invited us to be on our first CD. She was a right. wonderful, wonderful artist, supporter, and not only noise, but also photographers and writers as well. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me a bit about your guys' working relationship at that time? I mean, you kind of generally spoke that, you know, you handled like the brutal stuff. He handled the kind of the more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we, stuff, like, was, what, 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 was, what were the sessions like? I mean, like, what were those? What was that time like? Because that was so prolific for you guys. There was so much put out. And there's, you also well, had the I had, label. I had I mean, just gotten the house. So we mm-hmm. had the whole basement, one room on one side. I disconnected all the electronic washing machines, that, although I did reconnect them to actually use for recordings at one time. That melting softly at the time actually has dryers yeah. and motors and my motorcycle engine and different motors on it. But, uh, you know, we had that room. Then we had a room that was like a TV audio room that Roger had set up the tape decks in. Then we had like, I'm the kind of person I record in every room of my house. And you can't even walk in my place. The entire freaking place is amplifiers, pedals, noise record, kitchen, the bathroom. I've recorded in every room in the house, every engine, everything that makes noise. So that's how we started doing it. And then, you know, at that time, one of my parents was still living up here. Even though I bought the house, my dad was still upstairs on the first floor. So we had the whole bottom. Mm-hmm. And we used to go mm-hmm. in my bedroom, which was kind of the studio. We had mm-hmm. two rooms downstairs to make noise in. And then Roger would sit there. We got uh, four tracks. We started putting tracks down. We started sending tapes out. The very first tape we ever put on the WRCT radio station I believe was called and the animal screamed mm-hmm. that was the very first name we ever used with a recorded tape and it mm-hmm. had samples of wildlife and lions ripping animals apart mixed yeah. in with the noise and then I worked a lot of construction jobs so I started using like jackhammers and other industrial noises mixed in then we found records and Roger took some of the records that we got from the library, and he took some of those jackhammer and bulldozer and industrial noises and started looping them and making some crazy cool shit. Yeah. And so we had a good working relationship. I mean, he taught me a lot about the digital stuff, and I taught mm-hmm. him a little bit about the history. We had him reading stuff like research, you know, had him mm-hmm. doing some of the some of the you know, because he was into the Cure and into some of that you know alt stuff. So. He knew yeah. a lot about it. He was a good guitar player himself. So, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of hooked on that. And then me introducing him into the noise thing and showing him the Triple R catalog. And like I said, the only person I ever cared about impressing in my whole freaking life, because I, I do this for me, but the only yeah. person I ever cared about was making Ron take notice because I thought Ron was the shit. And he still is yeah. the shit and always will be the shit. Yeah, but, yeah, for sure. But Ron was the first person I ever wanted to say, hey, those guys know what noise is yeah do it for the right reasons yeah did it take some time to to crack that nut or was he pretty much like sold on you guys it happened we hit hit the ground running i just i got it (laughs) i just got it you know my my emotion and my 
my dad was an audiophile. My dad had, you know, Macintosh stereos and all that, you know, uh, realistic. He, he lived at Radio Shack and uh, yeah. the other uh, company, the audio company, I can't remember now. He used to live there and build his own things and all that stuff. So I was always, you know, making little tape things with cassettes and all, you know, I was, so I was into that. But, uh, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's a gradual progression. You learn as you go along and, you know. What did your dad make of all of it? And if you would, maybe tell me a little bit about your dad, because I, I know, at least from my knowledge, he's on the back cover of the Intensive yeah. Care City. Yeah, he passed that and time. You, I mean, and, dad, you, and you lived with him. I mean, how yeah. how was how was his contact with all this and your guys' relationship in that sense? I don't think he understood it much, except that he knew about some films, too. Because he was also mm. of some Spanish culture, so he'd seen some Boonwell stuff, and he'd seen some other stuff mm -hmm. that used some, you know, bizarre types of sounds in them before. So I don't know. I mean, he—I think he was more, you know, wanting to see where I progressed as a guitar player, because mm -hmm. I did get to the point where I could play Malaguena and Spanish, you know, stuff that mm. meant a lot to him. Because yeah. I, I took a DNA test with 23andMe, and I have 17 different nationalities in my blood. Oh. And oh. Spanish, Portuguese, German, Italian, part of all that. Viking, modern yeah. Indian, all part of all that. Yeah. So my father really yeah, wanted yeah. to see if I progressed. In that sense, he understood that. And then when he passed, yeah. I felt at that time, I you know, the art that I was selecting you know, for the covers on the inside was all very intensely provocative medical things mm -hmm. and, and diseases and infirmities yeah. and bodies floating no. in the water and such. So I felt that a hospital photo would immortalize him in a way. And when I got yeah. his ashes, I even said it in the banana fish article. We even took a little bit of his ashes, put him in a joint and smoked it and just said, fuck it. God bless you, Dad. Cool. And I'm an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, God bless you, Dad. You know, fuck it. And I, here I am. I'm yeah, a, yeah. a hardcore atheist, anti-religion, anti-everything. You know, I fucking hate all yeah. religions, you know? Stool Mountain 3CB, out now on Absurd Exposition. This altar of flies alter ego presents a deep dive into fractured reservoirs of textural discourse, rifts of smudged sophistication, crusted complexity, substance over style. Available from absurdexposition.bandcamp.com or screamandrive.com.
Prosnag is a label that detached from the American tape scene when tapes became a fashion statement for poor interior decorators, providing titles with zero shelf appeal that stay in stock. Four new editions include Power Electronics Trio Mindfold, Noise Core from Systemic Sewage, Texas Noise of a Fail Association, and a newcomer who keeps it sounding like the 90s, Slacking. Previous titles include Japanese stapled Mote, Covert Condom Removal, which is a collaborative effort between members of Unpenis, Legless, and Worth, and a compilation called The Silent Continuity of All Existence, with which the victim is now one, including artists like Mania, Kakerlak, Wince, Fakomelis, and more. The catalog includes several other albums. However, the compilation called You May Not Even Have to Come Back at All If You Become Perfectly Developed in This Life is currently out of print, but may come back if a more perfect method is developed for its packaging. $9 each. Email www.eakwill at gmail.com to order. Now available from Tribe Tapes. Bestattungsinstitut, Alkaline Hydrolysis Cassette. Reworking of 1993's Posthumous Cremation Cassette by Sigmar Fricke, also of DSIP. A beautifully compiled package of death industrial and clinical blown-out ambient. Tom Elliott, Human Heartworm Cassette. U.S. Industrial Noise and Psychedelia from this long-standing alum of Michigan and American Tape Circles. A wrenching return to form. Mastered by Grant Richardson of Hex Audio Labs. Also available, Smell and Quim, Nativity Colostomy CD. K2, Hybrid Dub Metal Music, Vinyl LP. Jen Ken Montgomery, Endogeny CD. Klim Perry, Les Plus Belles Valsis CD. Available at tribetapes.bandcamp.com. So, h- how did the like the the work as Macronympha kind of meld in with the work as Mother Savage? Mm, the label? You know, Mother Savage was the label, but we met when we did our first record, and we met Neil Herzinger from Graycom. He was mm-hmm. a genius drum programmer, mm. and I'd had a primitive drum machine, and Roger was using these Rolands. But I went ahead and bought one of Neil Herzinger's drum machines, which was, I think, mm-hmm. a Kawai, which was much more advanced than anything. And he programmed some of it for us so we could start making our own. And that's how we got that one track. And then Mother Savage became more of a, okay, let's incorporate the electronic beats like a Splendor Geometrical. We had a lot of inspiration from that metallic yeah. rhythmic thing. And then we wanted to incorporate some of the other hand-done, like maybe you would think of stuff like uh, Crash Worship even, you know, stuff with drumming. Sure. And then uh, there was another band at the time that, you you know, was using a lot of metal drums. I I can't think of it right now. They had a tape that was a a burlap case, and it was really inspirational. It was a really great all. And then Zev came along. Zev did this crazy thing with all sorts of different thicknesses of metals and drumming. Yeah. And so we wanted to mix the Mother Savage electronic Splendor stuff, like the broken machine sound of broken drum machines and pedals with mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. acoustic drumming. And that became a mother. But then that became the name of the label because Mother Savage, yeah. I was listening to this compilation on Dossier that had a band, uh, I think it was called Compound. And they had a track okay. called Mother Savage. And it had all this, you know, very atmospheric, uh, you know, things that that I was enjoying listening to through headphones. And I just liked the name, Mm -hmm. Mother Savage. And I found some 
inspiration in that. I mean, I, you know, I lost my own mother at a young age and I've always, mm. you know, I've always admired the power of women. So what the yeah. fuck, you know, I thought it made good, yeah. it made good sense at the time. And it was powerful. For sure. And yeah, it's an iconic name. I mean, it's, it's a powerful name anyway, but at this point it's, it's iconic. And, and what was like, how did the, how did the work with the label kind of fill your time? You know, what was your lifestyle like at this time? Were you like 100% living in noise? Well, you between, know, between, between being an artist and between running the label and stuff like that. Like what, what was your daily routine around this time? You know, Roger and I were working at a company that did inventories. And the cool part mm. of it is, is that the company that we worked for either used to do things locally here, or we would go like out of town for an overnight. And there was a drugstore chain. I believe it was Thrift Drugs or something that mm -hmm. went out of business and Rite Aid came in and bought all their drugstores. So we got to go in and, and count all their drugs, which meant that Vicodins and Percocets and a lot of their inventory was leaving in our socks with rubber bands around them. So yeah. we met that way. And then, okay. you know, and then when we, you know, the, the, that was our daily job. So what happened was when, you know, I started doing the noise and I wanted to make my own, you know, I got my tape deck all set up and everything. I got it all, you know, and then Roger brought some of his shit. I got some of my stuff. You know, we went to the, went to the bedroom. It was just, the stereo recording at that time, because I had a deck you could put two stereo mics into, and you could just mm -hmm. record that way before we, you know, started renting and then buying a four track. So we kind of started that way, and uh, and it just uh, and like I said, from just day one, we hit the ground running. As soon as we were in my bedroom studio, we started cranking shit up, and we heard white noise static, and I heard electronic yeah. feedback, and I was able to meld it all together and whipped out some of my old guitar pedals and everything. It just all came together, and I yeah. said, yep, we can do this shit. And then I started to get the industrial noise stuff mixed in with it, and then and then that was yeah. it. Then we just went, you know. Yeah. I have some more questions, like, specifically about sound oh, later. Also, but at the same time, I too, know... at the same time, too, it's important. At that time, politically, because we're very political, at that time, mm -hmm. Rodney King had just got the shit beat out of him. Right. So the world was on fire back then. George Bush yep. had just started the Iraq War. Yep. People were just learning about Muslim religion and that part of the Afghan yep. world for the first time. Yeah. We had all sorts yep. of corruption. We had Newt Gingrich going yep. after Bill Clinton once that year ended in 92, which was a year later yep. from 91. So there was mm -hmm. a lot going on at that time. So we were very motivated also. I would come home angry, pissed off, fucking just go downstairs, beat the living shit out of the metal for a while, and then go ahead yeah. and Roger would take that. And that's what turned into something like Pittsburgh because yeah. that looped metal sound, it's the sound of, I mean, it doesn't work for everybody, but in my case, rage is my yeah. motivator. I mean, I'm intellectual and I know the technology behind, you know, waveforms and sine waves and all that, but yeah. For me, my energy comes from anger. And I'm angry right. at everything. I'm yeah. angry at right-wing politics. Yeah. I'm angry at our government. I'm angry at not feeding poor people. I'm angry at how stupid the yeah. fucking world is because we have so many resources. We're killing the planet. 
We're not feeding anybody. Yeah. Four companies control every fucking thing in the world. You know, yeah. ten families in the United States control all the money. Yeah, I'm always angry, and that's what's always motivated. Yeah, it's me. it's hard not to be angry. You can only tune you can only tune it out to not be angry. That's the only exactly. Really so that's what's always done. been my raison d'être, if you want. Yeah, I hear that. Um, what was the then the Japanese connection? Well, okay, I I have a, I have a question that I want to ask you later about sound, but it just kind of like came to me now, and I really think it's an important question. Akron Info has kind of what now is identified as the American noise sound, this crunchy, heavy, blown out sound mm -hmm. that many, many, you know, it's kind of established mm -hmm. a new thing for the, it's, it's established a kind very important, genre, yeah, kind of a genre within a genre, genre, right, or, a genre. Or, or sound of the genre. Were there other projects or, or artists or at that time that you were also hearing that in and kind of being inspired from, or did that kind of just come oh, from no. itself? I mean, I'm not a professional on the history up there. Were other American groups at the same time that were also working in that realm. But I mean, were there others that you were kind of drawing that sound inspiration from? I think I can explain it best this way. The transition came from, like I said, everything focused on the triple R catalog. So Ron would have like his top 20 releases listed. Many mm -hmm. of those were names that were American, but every now and then he would have the K2, the Incapacitans, the Hyjo Kaidan, the Hana Tarash. Yeah. He would have that mixed in. So he had some compilations on cassette. So as soon as I heard K2, as soon as I heard Incapacitans, and then late, a little bit later, Mertzbau, I knew that that was, the, and the Japanese sound, people I don't think realize this, but I... I think that the Japanese sound became more intense than the European sound and the early American experimentalists because they had to live through the freaking horror of seeing flesh melted off bone when we bombed them. No other country has had to experience that kind of population horror and a genocide in that kind of way. So I think their intensity, right. their anger, their inner, because they're very quiet, manneristic people. So I think right. that this noise was a you know an affirmation of their strength and power, and I think that when the Japanese came out, wow, that took noise by storm. It was it was more yeah it was more intense than what I was listening to at the time, like Le Syndicate, the French really inspirational. Yep. Le Syndicate was probably one of my biggest inspirations. Sure. Love it, Entre yeah. Vif, another outshoot of, of Le Syndicate. Yep. Okay, but then mm -hmm. when I heard like Mon Brutes and and all those other bands and the compilations, Solmania K two. Then I said, that Japanese stuff is coming. It's angry, but it's angry, and they're using a very um, specific type of approach. Mm -hmm. The Terrace were very different. They were acoustic. and very, But a lot of the electronic guys, like Endo and some of the guys, you know, cut-up approach, electronic, pedal. Yeah. So I felt that American noise needed a bunch of different things. American noise needed their intensity because we're intense sons of bitch, you know, too. <laughs> Americans. Yeah. 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 And yeah. <laughs> we have, at least me, we have so much going on media wise that we need variety in, in, our, in our sex yeah. life, in our reading life, in our visual life, in our media life. We need variety all the time. Me, 
My big yeah. trick, Macronympha, if you want to know the truth, is I never do the yeah. same thing twice. Never. Even mm-hmm. when I'm recording, doing mm-hmm. a lot, never. My pedals are never connected the same. I never have the same signal mm-hmm. chain. I never keep things at the same volume. I use different amps all the time. I go out of my way to change up all the time. That, I think, is mm-hmm. defined American noise. American noise mm-hmm. is the intense, harsh, but it has to be different. It can't just be yeah. the same thing, the same approach, the same, I don't know, the same type of manipulation to create your end right. result. I think yeah. that the variety goes a long way. And let's face it, sometimes we've had a few dogs. Sometimes what I've tried hasn't worked out. I'll be honest. Sure. But, you know, sure. but there's been a lot more successes. And I think the great successes yeah. come from things that you don't necessarily plan, things that happen right. spontaneously, things you learn yep. as you're adjusting your equipment and, you know, and using your ear. Yeah. If it makes me happy, I think it'll make other people happy. But I don't give a shit because if I, I all I care about is making me happy. And I figure if I yeah. like it, somebody will like it. For sure. Um, that said, those Mother Savage tapes and the macronym for recordings do have a very specific characteristic, like crunch or warmth to them. What were, was, was there a specific machine that you guys were recording this stuff on or like dubbing? What were you, what were you dubbing on? For example, I, I see what you're saying. I always had good tape decks. I had, you know, I had some really good pioneer tape decks, pioneer amplifiers, equipment, had some ni- and then I learned something <laughs> important. A lot of people mm-hmm. were very afraid to overload cassettes. Mm-hmm. Manufacturers that made cassettes would only do fifty percent. You all, you could never get right. into the red zone. That's why I call my right. studio Red Zone Studio because I tried to prove to people yeah. you can have the tape overload. It's noise. It's not right. going to be that in. And if you want to see it, you can actually study it on an oscilloscope to prove it. Right. <laughs> so right. you can overload those tapes. So when you home record, yeah. your tapes get very, very, very crunchy, very, very good. I can turn up the bass on my stereo. I can turn up yeah. all the equipment that I have that would make it. I can take the Dolby off. Dolby sucks. A lot of people record noise with the yeah. Dolby on. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> So that's how my tapes got their kind of unique sound. I, probably Pioneer equipment, tape decks. I have Onkyo now. I have a, uh, mm. what is the other one? A, a Denon, a top-of-the-line Denon now. Yep. Um, you know, I yep. just made sure I had good tape decks. I had some TX in the past, yeah. you know. So I, it was always yep. me, I think, turning up and EQing maximum bass maximum treble no dolby in the red zone and that made my label unique yeah for sure cds came along and everything got all this crystal clarity and you don't feel cds in your guts (laughs) and in your balls like you do a record or a tape you just don't yeah no it's true
New Forces is proud to present the first in a series of CD box sets, reissuing the catalog of Hands 2, the legendary recording project of artist Jeff German. Bioelectric collects the five body sounds tapes released by Hands 2 in the late 1980s. The resulting cassettes represent the finest of the Hands 2 discography, pushing 1980s cassette culture experimentation to its absolute peak in ways that predict much of what the modern experimental listener takes for granted. An absolutely mandatory collection for any fan of noise, industrial, and experimental sounds that continues to inspire after more than three decades. Coming soon from New Forces, Kyostad, Shredded Nerve, Kyle Flanagan, Richard Ramirez, The Rita, Mass Marriage, Evil Moisture, Shanked, and more. Out now on Rural Isolation Project, Scathing, CD reissue of an early Scathing cassette released on Idiopathic Records in 2019, Size Affix, Americasm CD, Ted Burns, Speed as Expression CD, K2, Democratic Aspastica 6-Panel Digipack CD, and Cosmoto Endo and Scum Collaboration CD, Psychoacoustic Studies and Noise Snippets. Releases still available from Neural, Jugend Verkhoff, Genophobia, JSH, The Rita, N. Nihil, White Widow, Government Alpha, Henrietta, and more. Select titles available from White Centipede Noise, Skeleton Dust, Scream and Writhe, Satatawata, and Cold Spring. Now available on Oxen Records, Dressing, From the Body to the Door CD. Dublin-based artist Kevin Kerwin, Sounds in the Vein of Hands 2. Purgist, Heatsink CD. Oral Atmospherics, Waterlogged Drones, and Weatherbeaten Pulsations. Other titles still available, Scum and Unsustainable Social Condition, Necessary Downfall CD. Leah P., Surviving the Familiar CD. Systemic Sewage and Unsustainable Social Condition, All Available Weaponry CD. Available at oxenrecords.bigcartel.com. You, you have collaborated with a lot of people outside of just Info, either like as a musician, also with the label, um, you know, many, many, many also great, amazing artists. But, you know, a handful that kind of come to my mind are people that have recently deceased. And I was wondering if you could maybe share some, some, or not, not recently to see some, but, but some, some are uh, longer, but I wonder if you could share um, maybe some thoughts about working with, with Keith Brewer. Mm-hmm. Keith was a, uh, Keith was a, uh, Keith was a, uh, his own person. Keith was a good man. Keith was a good man. He, he misunderstood sometimes. Um, I understood him. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we all have, vices we all have dark thoughts keith manifested some of his in real life like i have and he you know did some of them artistically i think Mm -hmm. it was always something where we both when we work together try to achieve the same extreme ends of a result that would both shock but educate at the same time Mm-hmm. Now, he did it mm-hmm. in a little bit different way. I did it in a little bit different way, but it was a blast to work mm-hmm. with him. I regret that I didn't finish the last collaboration we were working on, but I've sent it now to Mike Striations, Mike Finklia, mm-hmm. out in Oakland, California, and he mm-hmm. is in the process of putting the last tracks together that I had put together because Keith had already mixed a track that I had sent him material He'd already put his half of the tape together. I had 
his material and my material that I needed to left and right channel together. I hadn't done that. I'd gotten a yeah. job like in the early, oh, I think it was 9-11 happened. It was like 2001, 9-11 mm. happened, and then, you know, things got crazy for about a year or two, and then jobs changed and everything, and then I forgot to put the tape together, and then, of course, you know, when Keith passed, it was too late by then. But I think it'll be a very, yeah. very good result. I think people will, and like I always tell people, I never wanted anything exploited by that because I got so many requests. Oh, do you have anything from Taint? Do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have anything from Doom? Right. And I, no, 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 no. You can't make any right. money off me, off Keith. So Keith was a right. blast to work with. I mean, you know, I've been, I've been privileged. I mean, from the start, you know, I had the Japanese, you know, le legends, if you want to call them that. You know, whatever. For sure. But uh, you know, I'm not, I, I certainly don't consider myself a legend. But uh, I, uh, you know, I got invited to do some, you know, like CCCC. They wanted to play with us when they came to America. So, I mean, you know, I had Mayuko yeah. and I had, you know, Fumio, who was in uh, incapacitants, you know, and he was very respected, yeah. you know. He said, oh, Mikalo, I mean, we, we know you. We know, we like you. So uh, that was yeah. a big, that was a yeah. big plus for me because I respected them so much. So, yeah, sure. you know, that. Uh, awesome. That meant a lot to me at that time. What about working with uh, Shohai Iwasaka oh. from Monibu on the MXM? Can you talk a little bit about MXM? Because that's a yeah. that's a you know, that's a favorite. Yeah, of mine. that you know, I mean, God, I, I still I'm still sad about that. I mean, uh, you know, great, great, great guy. And when I first got those gross tapes and heard his stuff, I mean, I thought, whoa, you know. That was the same time I think I, I had gotten an entree VIF tape and, you know, the uh, the offshoot mm. of the syndicate. And I thought, oh, wow, I just kept, couldn't stop listening to it. And, uh, and, you know, when we got into contact, we just hit it off right away. We were both motorcycle riders. We both had, you know, fancy no. motorcycle helmets. We uh, used to both no. go crazy, you know, drive at 140 miles an hour like idiots. You know, so we yeah. both had that bonding, you know, and then and then the noise just yeah. came. You know, he sent me his harshest stuff to remix. I sent him my harshest stuff yeah. to remix. We came up with some weird imagery because at that time, yeah. pedophilia and things were just starting to get into the mainstream along with transsexualism in the mid-90s. And right. you know, I was always a champion. I right. have so many LGBTQ gay friends, and I've always been hit yeah. to that, you know, that struggle for people to find yeah. their identity. And I've always tried to help people yeah. with that. And I'm a man, and I don't right. care. People say, well, you know, why are you right. so friendly? You know what? Fuck you. If, you don't, if you're not friendly yeah. to those people, then you have an issue with your own right. masculinity sure. or whatever. It's all bullshit. For you know? sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. What about working with David Gilden? Because uh -huh. you released, you know, kind of one of the classics of American Hush Noise, you know, Texas Chainsaw Dope Fiend. And, you know, it's an amazing recording. And it also, you know, has, I believe it's it's credited as edited by Mother Savage, something like that. Like you guys maybe had, had a hand in it. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about and how it was working with David? David was, David was just, uh, he was a wonderful guy. But he was a troubled soul. And we would get letters back yeah. and forth. We must have exchanged, like, I don't know, maybe a dozen letters going each way. You know, I wrote him a dozen, he wrote me a dozen, you know, and every yeah. time I would get his letters, it would be like, you know, this and that, but it, it was always, he would always appreciate he had the noise. The noise always meant a lot to him. 
he was into the noise, making the noise, but he had so many personal demons that that would creep into the conversation as well. And when he sent me material, mm -hmm. I mean, he almost sent me, I think, like almost two hours worth or something. And some of that turned into some of the slave labor stuff. And then some of that got booted mm -hmm. away because, you know, I think a lot of people know the story that I had some extra stuff. Uh, the guy from, uh, I don't know, was it Trash Ritual or something? That Morrison guy or something? Mm -hmm. Chris Morrison or something? Yeah. Some guy. You yeah. Know, he, had, he had some of my, uh, my masters. And then Rogers. We don't know Rogers, the story. We don't know the story. I'd like to know the story. Um, he came to, uh, after like noise, um, the No Fun Fest, after he met me like at the No Fun Fest, I think for the second year, the 2006 year, when Roger and Tim came to play, he came to my house about three months after that with a, a, a pregnant girlfriend, and he was living in Maryland, and he had asked me, he had put my Viper tape out, which was a tape where I ripped apart uh, an Ibanez RG guitar that mm -hmm. I had kind of mm -hmm. like fucked up anyway, so I just ripped it apart and recorded it yeah. all. And then um, he had put out, and then he put out a, a thing from Coxine Investigator, which is a project with right. me and Ed Buckholz from Fuck Telecore. Telecore yeah. was a great Pittsburgh yeah, yeah. band, also. And yeah. uh, and so you know, so I just trusted him. He said, "Well, I'm going to you know honor you with a big box set of some of your MSN MP releases." I gave him about eight or nine master. I think I gave him the the uh, collaboration with Crawl Unit, Unit M. I think I gave him the one with Cocky mm. SP. I think I gave him the Anal Drill from Amiris. I think I gave him uh, the Blister Pack. Uh, I think I gave him the Rend. I think I gave him the, the 666 volt battery noise. A lot of the old Mother Savage, mm. they were all supposed to be, wow. you know, some kind of a tribute box, and it never happened. And then Roger, when he came mm. to visit afterwards, snagged some of the masters too. And then some of that slave labor stuff wound up, you know, out in the public. And I don't mind because, I mean, I want all mm. Gilded stuff to be out there. Anything, any little hint of the stuff yeah. deserves to be out there. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Dave yeah. was just wonderful. I, I Like I said, I wish if I had lived closer to him yeah. and been able to see him every day, we could have got high together yeah. and hung out together. I don't know. I don't want to yeah. say anything that I might have been able to, you know, to help yeah. him in any way. But I think I might have been able to. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of your, con I mean, a lot of your contact in this kind of scene developed through letter writing, and you know, you're kind of notorious for writing like epic letters, like you know, back in the days. Oh yeah. What? Who were some of your biggest writing partners? And did people? Did you have also people who were like? Just as receptive and writing is just as much uh, in that time. Oh yeah, yeah. Like well, you know, you have to understand. I started all my career as a journalist. That's how I, my first degree. I have two degrees. One in the arts mm. is in English and journalism, and I worked for newspapers and magazines that you know until I moved here to Pittsburgh. And then my second degree is a science degree in botany and horticulture. That because you know I'm a, I'm a expert mm. in growing the best weed you ever want to smoke. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how I started out with you know. But writing, um, you know. I was asked to write a few magazine articles for like Relapse and their magazine when they when they start. So you know, I wrote that, and then some people started writing me because of that. Some people started writing me because yeah. of how we started the label. Pretty much, Mother Savage label got off the ground with Noise War. Pretty much, right. that was you know that's wow. kind of how I got the impetus 
start a label where I made 80 to 100 copies of things. Because up until that point, we yeah. were making like maybe 40, 50 tapes, you know. We used to go right. to the right. local store. I think it was called, what was it called, a Pathmark or something? Or... Farmore, yeah, Farmore drug chain. We used to go with like bags from Farmore that were empty. Yeah. And we put them in our pockets. Yeah. We'd go to the tape department and we'd snag like a hundred yeah. cassette tapes, put them in a Farmore bag, and then yeah. walk out the door like we had just bought them. Wow. <laughs> so that's how we got our. That's yeah. how Mother Savage started. Was like it was you know nefarious. Wow. And uh, we did that yeah. and made our own covers and stuff. And then then I remember it was the guy from Vital Magazine reviewed one of our tapes and he goes. Your tapes are very simple. He goes, they're very, very conservative. <laughs> and I go, we're not conservative. We're very liberal. And he goes, oh, they're very conservative in the packaging. You need to do more. And I go, okay, well, you know, <laughs> we got to get the tapes for free. Then. If I'm going to spend $2 at Kinko's to make really nice covers, then I'm going to have to get free tapes. Right. So, yeah, so Noise yeah. War was the first time we ever, you know, contacted a company in Chicago. We bought the tapes. We went and had professional, you know, uh, covers made. We put the money in to get all the different, uh, you know, all the Witkin. I, we bought a book, uh, you know, a Witkin art book, and we got all those images. You know, yeah. Joel Peter Witkin and used a lot of those, and we got some stories. I had a book called um, Perverse Crimes in History, a very good book about the mm -hmm. Berbers, the Egyptians, all the different perversions mm -hmm. that little princesses would tie their lovers up with their balls up with string and then soak them in wine and yeah. make them drink wine until their cock burst, you know, they cheated on them and stuff. So we had all those little stories to share, so we put that in noise war. Yeah. Then, of course, we got branded as Nazis yeah. for a while, which was kind of ridiculous, you know, a person like me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then so that's how yeah. kind of like so that's how we uh, we kind of like did that with the, uh, with the with the label starting. But uh, I don't know what we were talking about, but I think that uh, I think we were back uh, in a circle. Yeah, that's awesome. No, um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna play. I have I. I asked some um, Patreon supporters of the podcast who are on like the, the White Sabbath Discord. It's kind of like a message board that we have mm -hmm. um, to submit a few questions. Mm -hmm. So I have a video question that I'm going to play for you okay, right sure, now. No problem. So, mm -hmm. Hey, Joe. It's uh, Taylor from Screaming Riot, Absurd Exposition. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for contributing some liner notes to the Neural uh, Initial Shock 25th Anniversary CD reissue. Um, your enthusiasm for the project and uh, your obvious respect for Alan and his work uh, re really helped uh, get that project along uh, near the end there. And I know Alan really appreciated your words as well. Uh, my question is, are you still banned from Canada or why, basically why were you banned from Canada? Uh, I know this is like a question you maybe won't want to answer publicly in a public forum, um, but I know you mentioned some of it briefly to me before when we were talking on email, um, and it sounds like maybe it's like a sort of funny or interesting story. Um, just uh, just to, to have that tidbit out there might be cool. I don't know. Uh, that's it. Thanks. Oh, well, I was banned for... Okay. Um... <laughs> All right, back in 19, I think it was 1981. Oh, no, I was still in California back then. I think it was around 82 or something. I went to this, uh, oh, no, I, no, it was like, all right, around 79, I went to this heat wave festival in Canada, which was like this big Pretenders, uh, B-52s, this big, you know, new wave concert thing. 
So I met some friends. So like back when I got back from California in like 19, I think it was 1982 going on 83, they have something up in Canada around the 4th of July called Canada Day. So I got really mm-hmm. bored with our 4th of July celebration around my hometown because I was living in Massachusetts. So I was able to mm-hmm. just book up from you know, the Amherst, Massachusetts, Northampton, Massachusetts area, up north, going to Toronto, have a good time. So so I had my motorcycle, and I'm up on my bike, and I got weed, and I got all this shit. So I spent a couple of days at Canada Day, yeah. go to all the moles and all the Labats, tents, get drunk and shit, hang out at the lake. Yeah. There's a lake there. All these bikers are parked around the lake, maybe 200 motorcycles. Well, oh. the Hell's Angels were there, too. So I guess one of the angels, because I was gone from my bike for quite a while, I guess one of my angels, one of the angels up there, because they were Canadian angels, they weren't American angels, they were Hell's Angels from Canada. They must have thought Mm -hmm. it was a a cute idea, because maybe at that time, I don't know, the thing was, the big thing was cocaine in the early 80s. So I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, because they took tin snips and they cut my license plate off the back of my bike to put on one of their bikes so they could cross the border. So in order Uh for me to get back into America... I had to go steal a license plate off somebody else's motorcycle and put a Canadian plate on my bike to get back. And then as soon as I did that, the Canadian authorities stopped me. But we were 15 feet away from the American box that the security people stay in. So when the security guys saw me sticking over the line being questioned by the Canadians. They come running over, they grab me and my bike, and they pull me over onto the American side, and they say, he's American. He's our problem now. And so, and they arrested me, took me to jail. My dad had to, like, come and uh, haul my bike away because I couldn't drive it, didn't have a valid plate. But at least I got back into the country. So I doubt very much because they had my social security, they had my license, all that information. I doubt I can ever get back into Canada again because, you know, it's going to be, I guess, I don't know if it's a felony, but I don't know what the fuck it was. Yeah, I, I guess they don't they don't play with some of that stuff. No, that, and that, like I said, that was very, that was a weird moment, to tell you the truth. That was, I was surprised to all of a sudden get yanked over onto the American side when I was on my bike, you know, yeah. like saying, what the fuck, you know crazy so so outside of like the intense relationships with like letter writing that existed oh like gray wolves know, uh, gray wolves we used to call uh, back uh condom used to write me all the time um uh, uh, rodolfo yeah. from old europa cafe cafe emmanuel from you know his label started writing me a lot of japanese started with perfect english i mean they put some of our american yeah. students to shame I mean, some of their letters were just beautiful. Yeah. I mean, some of the some of the uh, you yeah. were talking about deceased people. Um, some of the letters I got from Ob were just you know were just incredible. Wow. He, what yeah. a, what a, what a what a smart, deep thinking person he was. Yeah. You know, he he had some yeah. things he told me, uh, and it just it was almost like poetry. When he yeah. Wrote. You still have like an archive of all those oh, I letters? Wish, no, I like wish that? I did. But my, you know, and they might even exist in my home somewhere but uh my house looks pretty much like uh 
the World Trade Center after it fell on the ground. So, you know, good luck finding it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, at least, at least we can hope that they're in there somewhere. Maybe they're buried. Maybe Liz will find everything after I after I croak. What I want all my friends to do is to come and sort through all my things, give her fair value for everything, and then just take and let the world sure. share it. I mean, no point in letting yeah. it rot, you know, just come out because I'm, I'm old now, so. You look pretty good, though. You look, you, you, you don't, I mean, you look pretty healthy, I'd say. I mean, I'd say you got a lot of, you got a lot well, still in you, I'd say. Um, hey, I was in the Army. I've always been a workout guy. I played football. I've always been a beast physically, but I've had some hernia surgeries. I need to have another one done. I put that one off that I told you about so I could have this whole right, summer you just had myself, them, right? but I still have to probably have a second one yeah. done by winter. You know, you don't live mm. forever, but I have no regrets. I mean, who wants to live forever anyway? Yeah. Even the even the immortals yeah. and Zardoz got bored with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so, so then tell me some of the more intense, like physical real world experiences you've had through noise then, you know, like I say, a lot of this, a lot of the noise scene often is quite secluded. You know, we're like kind of these little islands of people scattered all over the world and we communicate via, you know, letters or nowadays via email, even social media. But what are some of the more intense, like performances or recording sessions or or meetings with with other individuals in you know in the flesh that that you can tell about okay, I, have, I have one story that you may enjoy um liz as a, a, an employee at carnegie mellon university you know, very well respected one of that mm. she was assistant dean of fine arts for her last position mm. um she was one of the people that were able to introduce me the people at the radio station, WRCT. And at that time, Ed Buckholz was working there. So it was a, mm-hmm. and Manny Thiner and all those. And it was a great time because they were very supportive. We even did a lot of live over the air down there, setting off fireworks and everything crazy. But one day, we wanted to get a really nice recording. And as you and I were discussing before, sound engineers have a hard-on about putting things in the red. So there's a guy, Ricardo, who runs the CMU Engineering Music Department. So Mm -hmm. Liz arranges for us to go and record a 60-minute tape there. Mm -hmm. No matter how I try to explain noise to this symphonic, well-educated gentleman, (laughs) he never quite got the concept of loud. So, since everything was peaking between five and six, we decided to get power tools, motors, saws. We freaking tore that place up. The drama department was rehearsing. I mean, that's a school where you had people like Ted Dance and Holly Hunter go to school. So all these people come running down the hallway to see what's going on. The concert hall we were recording was full of people that looked like they had just seen a zombie invasion. They were just mouth open, horrified in like the place of, you know, the bastion of educational bliss, (laughs) Carnegie Mellon University. And it was it was the funniest (laughs) thing because the guy almost had a heart attack. I mean, when we turned on the, the drills and the electronic, you know, McCullough saws and the Black and Decker drill yeah. and all that, it was just, it was mayhem. 
and they thought the roof was going to collapse. So, were you actually like drilling against? We were drill. Well, you know, when the, I, usually the when I went at that time, the I building, of, or were you causing actual well, damage? I went, no, but I bring a lot of metal with me everywhere I go, so I kind of use the metal as yeah. a shield. You know, you can take metal barrels, you can yeah. take metal plates, you can take metal grates, you can take, a, and you can abuse the heck out of. Them. You just have to watch yourself that you know, yeah. you know something spins doesn't cut off you or or that sparks don't set something yeah. on fire. But that's why I said I like to yeah. do everything different. Sometimes my live performances are very well thought out and calm and, and you know, more uh, more academic if you want. But, uh, you know, sometimes sure. it's just how I fucking feel that day. And if I'm pissed off, I'll just tear the shit out of it. And it's cathartic because a recording yeah. for the studio or a recording for a specific purpose is much more planned and much more. It's a much more, you know, right. it's a much more structured type of thing. Yeah. What about what about that tour you guys did together, um, with Macronympha, with 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 Cacarla, with Nolan Throop as a member of Cacarla, oh, yeah, yeah, or Nolan, as a member of Macronympha. No, Nolan. Um, we didn't really tour. In what was that? Two thousand seven ish. Yeah, no, I don't think we didn't really tour. I think it was uh, we went and did a show at the. Um, Jason Krummer invited me mm. down to the No Future Fest, I believe it was, the No Future Fest mm -hmm. in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And we went to mm -hmm. that, and Jason hooked us up there because we had gone and done another show with him after that because we were on our way up to do a show mm -hmm. in Philadelphia, and we had mm -hmm. done another show, and uh, he had joined us kind of for that. And uh, Jason, I mean, uh, Jason, it, you know, was a, was a good contact at that time. I think he had moved out to San Francisco after that, and then I think he went over to Europe for a while. Didn't he? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not sure that Jason But um, but uh, but Kakerlak, you know, Nolan. Um, I think now he's in Sweden. I think he's getting ready to get married. But he, but we did that split album. He has been in Sweden for sure. Yeah. 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 Was it playing with? I mean, what, what 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 were those shows like? I mean, I I I thought you guys did a handful of shows together. I don't not unless he unless he did but something maybe, maybe the I don't I don't think we did a handful of shows. Together. I think we did the Philadelphia show together. Mm -hmm. We did the um, New York show. I think I think we did a, and we did that one in Baltimore. I think we did the one at the Maryland mm -hmm. Art Space show, maybe because he's that's okay. where Nolan's from. Okay. Nolan's from that right. from that Baltimore area at the time. So we played with us. I think the right. Baltimore yeah, yeah, yeah. show. I think he played with us at Philadelphia yeah. show, maybe the yeah. North Carolina show, but it wasn't really a tour. Okay. It was kind of like I started out going down to North Carolina, and then other shows kind of followed, okay. you know, because we were out. So I mean, when people hear that, yeah. you hear that you're out, you know, you get invited to do other shows, or you can set up other shows along the way. What about some of the other members of Macronymph along the way? I mean, maybe can you talk a little about Liz, Liz Fox, because I know she's been credited mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know involved acronym for mm -hmm. for quite a long time and of course mm -hmm. she's been very helpful in setting this up well she's my yeah she's well she's my she's my wife pretty much and i like and i said that uh, she kind of like was responsible for getting the information chain yeah flowing to yeah. me so i could actually read about the stuff and participate in the online community which was at that time called alt music and it was mason jones and it was some people that had been into, you know, the uh, Japanese uh, gross label mm -hmm. tapes and had just started talking a little bit about it. So Liz was very influential in getting me the, um, the background of what I 
was drawn towards. Because, you know, I started making it, but I didn't know how to study mm -hmm. it until I started reading about it and learning, you know, because I had some, you know, basic knowledge of, you know, like I said, the people that I studied, like the people who created synthesizers and, and music soundtracks and things mm -hmm. like that. But I hadn't really, you know, gone too much into like the, you know, the futuristic or the Dada right. history of anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that helped with that. And then she became part of the performances. Like when we went on tour with CCCC, we had um, her and Roger's girlfriend. And, uh, you know, they were wearing, uh, you know, minimal amount of uh, breast augmentation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, they would, uh, you know, help beat metal and play with us. And we went to Ohio together and we, you know, we did shows together. So Liz has been helpful with that. On some of my recent One Dark Eye recordings, I, like I said, I've just for the first time, I've never had a synthesizer before. Mm -hmm. I bought a synthesizer a year and a half ago, and so now I'm showing her a little bit how like to um, you know assist me cool. during some quiet performances if I do do some of the quieter performances because yeah. I like the loud macro emphasis. Yeah. But around here, you know, you might get invited to do an art gallery sure. type thing or a bookstore type show, and that's not appropriate to bring you know a ton of metal with me. So sure, sure, sure. I try to do quieter things like the uh, One Dark Eye shows every now and then, too. Or I do my Viper. I just did a Viper yeah. solo guitar show. Viper's very yeah, cool. Kind of, kind of like Boris, Japanese band. Yeah. Starts out, you know, guitar, you think it's noisy. Yeah. What about, um, like, Tim and some of those other folks that have oh, been, Tim. been involved? Like Tim what? was a wonderful, you know, Tim was after Roger left. Mm -hmm. And Tim was a wonderful person. I mean, I don't know if you know him. I don't. But... Uh, no, Tim. Tim was a wonderful person. He, he was very interesting, and he was very into um, Japanese culture. I mean, the real deal Japanese culture. I think he wound up marrying a Japanese woman. He studied the language. He um, took jujitsu and mm -hmm. other types of uh, you know combat wrestling and grappling, mm -hmm. and uh, studied that. He was he, he was just a, a very talented person. He understood about you know where you could buy things because up until that point, I was like you know buying things like wherever I could find them. And I think he turned me on to Musician's Friend for the first time, the, the big mm -hmm. catalog that they had. And, mm -hmm. you know, and he showed me how he was able to order pedals and get stuff delivered right away. And mm -hmm. so Tim, you know, when I started swapping all sorts of, uh, all sorts of uh, sound sources, and he was just wonderful to work with. I mean, I had some great conversations, even not just letters, but even on the phone, because we used to speak on the phone quite a bit. And, and Tim was just a super talented guy. Yeah. I mean, it did, one of my big disappointments was after I invited him to the um, to play with us at the um, you know the No Fun Fest in New York was that he kind of dropped out of noise. And then mm -hmm. you get a lot of people that criticize. You know, like I mean, Macroniff has been through, like you said, has been through Roger, has been through Tim, has been through Leo. Some people like mm -hmm. Chris Goudreau have sat in. Some people like mm -hmm. you know Nolan Thrupe have sat in. Um, yep. Right now. John Grimaldi and, um, you know, Henry Real sit in. Yep. You know, I mean, but everybody's always got an opinion. That's why I never sure. spend any time online. I really don't care what anybody has to say. Because, you know, okay, so some of the, you know, releases here and there, oh, they're not Joe, they're not they're not as strong. And it's, but you know what? They're, they're releases. You know, it's noise. Yeah. And every noise yeah. has a valid worth. Everything's going to disintegrate at the noise eventually. When the earth dies, right. humans are gone. All that's left yeah. is going to be just nothingness and noise. So, yep. you know. Yeah, for sure. And so I know you don't want to stir shit. I don't want to stir shit either. But I'm curious, can you tell me about your Roger's relationship and what the status of it is now and what kind of 
happened there and how you guys drifted apart? Yeah, I got no problem with that. Just let me grab a joint here. Um, yep. Yeah, I, uh, I have no problem with that. I, uh, like I said, when Roger, when I met Roger, I thought, what a gifted kid, you know? I mean, there's quite a bit of age difference between the two of us. You know, when I mm -hmm. met him, I was already 30-something, like 30 years old. Mm -hmm. Roger was 18, 19. Mm. So, you know, we both taught each other quite a bit, and I thought the relationship was great. I enjoyed hanging with them. I mean, we sometimes, you know, being together <laughs> wasn't the greatest idea because both of us are pretty crazy. And so sometimes mm -hmm. craziness would result out of the crazy. I remember one night, you know, mm -hmm. uh, he taped knives to his fingers and we were like, you know, antagonizing some guy that I worked with. And uh, I remember that we used to go and get into fights in bars, you know, with uh, with people and do and do that kind of thing. So, you know, so we had that kind of relationship where we we really helped each other intellectually, but we also had the ability to do wild shit too, you know, and yeah. to do thievery too. Like you know, like the day that we got the three hundred pound statue, you know, of Jesus and the Mary that went with it. I mean, you know, that kind of thing, you know. So we did, and then once we got stopped, once we got stopped by cops, and because we were in Roger's car, Roger's dad worked for the government, like as a, like as a nuclear regulatory commission or something, it's something really serious. Wow. So we got stopped, and the cop looks at Roger's license and looks at the registration and goes, "Oh, you guys can go, you guys can go." And we had like we had like <laughs> the, the Jesus in the back of the car, we had pockets full of pills Whoa. and drugs. And Weed, yeah. every beer, a case of beer in the back seat. Cop just let us go. Wow. I guess that's the privilege Crazy. of being white. That's white privilege right there. That is big that's camp a, privilege for sure. It's a textbook example of white privilege right there. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. So so what what happened between you guys or what went wrong? Well, I'm not gonna get too much into it, but all I'm gonna say is that Ever since I was a kid, I took every frickin' drug in the book, okay? And I never had to have a person take care of me. I am independent. And if you can't handle your shit at a given time, I just can't hang. So at that time, we had a situation after a show there was the pursuit of a product involved, and I just didn't want to hang. And so that's how it all mm -hmm. ended. You know, I'm an adult, and I thought that you know he was being a little bit childish, and I admire him. I have total respect for him, and uh, that's all I'm going to say. Sure. Okay, got it. Kind of going back now to the question I asked about, you know, this crunchy sound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you talk about like certain sounds within Macronimpa, what we might mm -hmm. attribute to one or other mm -hmm. of you guys, and maybe also talk mm -hmm. about One Eye and Ovia Men and what those products are all about and what's mm -hmm. behind those? Sure. Um, I would say that, like I said, if you listen to early Macronimpa, like if you listen to the stuff from you know, 91, 92, 93, 94, up until the time Roger left in 95, when you hear things like the, the looping tracks of one dark eye um when you hear that live greatest hits 
<laughs> the big, the big, the big joke about live greatest hits is that there's nothing live on. Live uh -huh. greatest hits with the naked woman on the cover is yeah. my tribute to Roger. Those are all his loops on that CD yeah. because they're oh, there. Because God. after he left, that was the last yeah. of his material before Tim started working with me. So I yeah. wanted to give Roger his last final glory. So I made that CD yeah. called it Live Greatest Hits. I was hoping always that Roger would come back to, you know, to Pittsburgh yeah. or whatever. But, you know, like I said, I have no... Uh, there, he left in 2005. I didn't see him again for 12 years. Wow. So that's why we, I guess, kind of didn't mesh that time because we'd both grown in different directions. And, you know, meeting sure. somebody crash for the purpose of doing a show and then not even talking... I mean, I'm not yeah. even going to tell you what he did at my house, which was very disrespectful, which I really want, you know, anybody else would have fucking, yeah, like this, like right in his fucking teeth. But, you know, so, yeah. so that's all I'm, that's all I'm going to say. But uh, do you guys yeah. have contact these days? And do you think you guys no, could ever, you know, you know, I don't miss at all working with them. Um, like I said, he had his sounds. I have mine. Like I said, he had the loops, he had the nice, uh, you know, the audio file. He'd take the reel-to-reel the -reel stuff and, you know, and, and manipulate it. He borrowed a synthesizer mm -hmm. once, an Insonic, um, that he had from his girlfriend up in Edinburgh. And uh, they made some good tracks back then. And like I said, he had his Roland sampler. And that's kind of how he does his noise, you know, since 2006 and, and beyond, I would, I would imagine. Because that's the time mm -hmm. I saw him last, so. But um, that's how, you know, he uh, his sounds can be differentiated. My sounds, like I said, my sounds were always, you know, the metal banging, the crunch, yeah. uh, taping every yeah. motor in the house, taking and fucking yeah. with everything, slowing it down, speeding it up, layering yeah. it, not layering it. A lot of my stuff is recorded just live, what's in the room. Some of my stuff is yeah. two tracks. Some of my stuff is three yeah. tracks. Some of my yeah. stuff is like tracks that I put together from something I recorded lately with something I recorded yeah. years ago. I yeah. try to mix it all up because I, I hate to have so many releases out there and I hate to have too many things repeat. There are macronymphous right. sounds though. I mean, there are sounds, you know, from some of my, yeah, yeah. that's what I wanted to ask about that too. Cause there are certain sounds that are like almost samples, like source sounds that you can, you can kind of recognize yeah. in different. Yeah. Yeah. Recordings well, like certain build yeah. up this, this this one build up thing you know there's certain ones that I yeah. it's like kind of an Easter egg I'm just like oh there's that one you know but I'm but I'm gonna tell you something I, that's pretty disappointing okay and this is what <laughs> I've learned is that I probably have had I'd say over 500 pedals mm -hmm. and I've tried every single thing that you can do trick wise with recording mm -hmm. and I think. That I don't, I probably would have to read books about it. But yeah. I think there's a limited amount of sound. Seriously. I right. mean, if you take, you know, the waveforms, you know, the four basic waveforms, mm -hmm. and you take frequency, and you take oscillation, and you take the different vibrations of, you know, of transcendental waves and different types of waves that are created, you know, some with air, some with springs, some through electronics. There's only a finite number of sounds. Sure. So whether you're using, you know, a Ibanez tube screamer for your guitar, or you're using, you know, a Fender blues driver, you're getting a lot of the same sounds. Even sure. though things could be wired differently, and you know, you do. Like I'm thinking, there's a finite number of electronic sounds. So, 
you know, a lot of the things I prefer to use, I repeat. Because, mm -hmm. like you say, I recognize them as my own sounds. And I enjoy yeah. those sounds. So, you know, I'm yeah. adding them into my stuff yeah. as I'm creating them. But I'm thinking that, you know, as much as I try, that's why I bought a synthesizer. Because I think a synthesizer mixed with some other effects are going to give me some different things. But yeah. not necessarily measurable sounds that you can actually on an oscillating screen see right. that they're different. So yeah. to your ear they'll be different. Right. And I just don't know if there's enough variety, which is why I always didn't really care for creating things on computers. I mm -hmm. don't create anything on computer. Nothing. Mm -hmm. I actually revel a bit in playing my amps. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> you know, amps. I, mean, I, I, mean, I like to play my amplifiers. You know, I like to do that. You know, and I like to play and I like to think around and you know, I do that. So that's what I do. Now I don't. Can you show what you're playing? Are you are, are you able to show what you're playing? No. <laughs> Down there. Those are all my tricks. Let's put it okay. this way: I told you Dan Burke showed me the beauties of playing contact metal. Yeah. Let's just say that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. But. Uh, but yeah. Sick. So anyway, I always had an attitude about people solely creating their noise with computers. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, like the first time I saw Masami use a laptop, yeah, as opposed to the old stuff that I'd seen, because I'd seen stuff like I don't know if I have it. Oh, remember this Omoro? This was like a video. Of all the Japanese artists back from like 91, 92. Mm. And, you know, mm. after seeing like Masami and the, and the bands play live, it was like, you know, to see him using a laptop, you know, I understood it, but it was like, eh, okay, you know. So, yeah. but now I understand how computers and digital, because especially, you know, Brentonall from Molest, I mean, mm -hmm. all fucking does amazing, yeah. amazing computer-generated studio work. And yeah. he has all the plugins and all the attachments that you would yeah. ever need yeah. to create yeah. these, what I would call, you know, sound cinema. I think he even mm -hmm. uses that term, sound cinema. Right. And he creates yeah. these images in your head, and that's, and that's something that I think that computers actually might be able to create some patterns that might be different.
But as far as yeah. sounds go, I'm almost positive we live in a finite world of sound between, you know, 20 hertz and 20 kilohertz, you know. Sure. We live in that finite sure. world of sound. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. Um, another question kind of related to what you're, what you're talking about that was submitted by a, a person on the Discord is, mm -hmm. um, he has two, two parts. Hi, Joe. My question is, well, I have two questions, but the first one I would like to ask you is regarding how you conceive of yourself as an artist. Uh, because I think within Harsh Noise, you and Macronympha are unanimously considered legendary or at least important to the genre. Um, do you think of yourself in that regard? Um, or is that difficult for you? Or are you able to... Yeah, I, w I would love to know where you're at with that when people refer to you as legendary or important in this artistic movement. Whatever, man. It's like, that's what I say, whatever. I mean, that's for you people to say. It's not for me to say. I don't think that I do anything more special than any other artist who has a real commitment to producing something pure. I mean, if it's pure and if it's good, people are going to find it because if you, like I said, if you like it, they're going to like it. I've never sat yeah. down and said, I'm going to create something for the people. Everything yeah. I've created has been for me. So if I'm recognized, that's fine, but I don't live with it. I don't live it. Yeah. I mean, whatever. My second question is whether or not you have a piece of gear that never leaves your setup. You know, aside from sheet metal, uh, is there something that is indispensable to you in terms of how you create your sound? Thanks. That's Sun Amp. That's Sun Alpha 112 Amp. That's my, that's my, that was my, that's my macro sound. If I have a macro sound, pretty much, yeah. pretty much everything I record goes through that. So no matter how yeah. I record it, everything pretty much goes through two Sun amplifiers. And like I said, yeah. I also, besides playing my pedals, my effects, my different tricks that I use layering, I also play the amps, and I really yeah. like playing the amps. You know, the amps yeah. I've always started that way, and I like playing live amps. I, when I do live shows now, I'll take my rig, and I'll DI that into the box so it goes through the PA mm -hmm. so I can have my mm -hmm. five or six pedals that I use because I don't have 20 or 30 pedals for my live rig, just about six that I use. Yeah. And then you know, I always have an amplifier that's mic'd that goes into yeah. a DY box too because I want yeah. the mic thing coming from my amplifier at almost yeah. equal volume as what I'm creating live off my pedal board. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. anything I have acoustic, like if I bring metal with me, I can go ahead and plug that into my amp and just mess around with the amp. Just besides playing, yeah. uh, you know, effects through the amp, I can also mess around, you know, because I AB box my stuff so yeah, I can the, send stuff to the DI and stuff to the amp. I've seen you play live once with – I saw you play live in, in Portland, and I've also seen several videos of you playing. That was a very and, stripped down – yeah, that was a little bit of a stripped down. But, you, but, you, but you rock with the – I'll borrow equipment. But you always also. have the amp, right? You had the amp, though. I think you that had the amp, Marshall, and you, you yeah, always rock with the amp. I think it was a tall Marshall amp that I had, yeah. Yeah, I was able to That's play right, with okay. that. But, but that amp – see, um, one thing I, I know about amps, because I'm a guitar player, and, I mean, you want right. a tube amp like that for guitar. I mean, a tube amp mm -hmm. for guitar, that, that kills. But for noise, you're better off with a solid state amp. 
my two sun amps mm. are solid state amps and you get much more dynamic control much more mm -hmm. sweep when you're creating and passing noise through it much more yeah. response through a solid state amp than you do through the tube amps the tube amp kind of sure, sure. warms and gives the brown sound to everything you know so are there certain artistic principles that you specifically oh, yeah. hold yourself to and follow oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah sure I would never, you know, I would never like in any in any way, shape, or form, would never like try to sell out. I would never not credit any artist. Like right now, um, you and and I from you know input era in England mm -hmm. are trying to regather and reassemble the old Japanese that I put out on Mother Savage, and you know yeah. we won't release it unless we have enough permission from people because we've had yeah. a little bit either way. We've had some permissions, some non permissions. If we yeah. get like eight out of the ten, because two have said no. I think four have said yes. So I think if we get, you know, enough, like two more maybe people to say yes, we'll actually go through with that. So there has to be ethics. Yeah. There has to be purity of purpose. You know, yeah. Macronymph is not all of a sudden going to start, you know, releasing things about baby diapers and shit when we got cocks and fucking war and hatred and, you know, social yeah. issues. And, our, you know, we're not going to all of a sudden start, you know, yeah. going Muzak or Elevator on yeah, it. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. You know, we're not going to, like, uh, do shows for people that we don't believe in. I would never go do a yeah. show in a country or do a show for a promoter or do a show for a person. Like, there's people here locally that I think have yeah. caused a few problems. I don't want to mention names, but I won't do shows in a certain part of the, of the town. I mean, I do shows right. in Pittsburgh pretty much anywhere in the university area yeah. or down in the city part. But there are a few suburban parts that, have, you know, that are run by some people that I won't do shows there. Yeah. I don't believe in their politics. Sure. You know? Yeah. If I had my way, I'd have killed Donald Trump. Sure. If I had my way. Yeah. Yeah. If I had a nice, uh, nice fucking, yeah, a nice fucking 10 inch Italian stiletto that if I was his fucking, I put it right there and I made sure it goes one end of his neck and out the other end. If I had been his assistant at the White House, that son of a bitch is a coward. A coward, yeah. a liar, and he wrecked our democracy, and I—I'll never forgive him for it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you, but I'm glad you didn't do it, because then you wouldn't be here with us. Oh, I'd no. love to. I would love. I'd get so much fun out of it. You—you you are a very outspoken, obviously outspoken person, and you know, unfiltered. And I've kind of gathered that through the years, you've had some spats with other noise artists and you're not afraid to you know speak your mind and tell them how you feel what are some reasons that conflicts usually arise between you and other artists or people within the noise scene like what are some things that that get you there i think there were basically two things there were two areas the first area was you know because of different art that mostly art that roger had selected to be honest we had gotten labeled by some circles as Nazi sympathizers or something in that regard, like more right wing, which is anything but the truth as far as I'm concerned. Now, Roger, mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure of because the last time we spoke, he was watching Fox News and he kind of like comes from a more conservative background in Alabama. I mean, Alabama yeah. is pretty much the you know heart of conservatism and one of the, you know, one of the links in the Bible Belt. So, I mean, that's right. That's a whole For different sure. area down there. Right. So, yeah, so that's, you know, that's one of the one of the areas of conflict was that. And then the other area of conflict, I think, came between 
when everybody was trying to judge harshness, quote unquote, you know, what was yeah. the most extreme? What was the harsh thing? And then, yeah. you know, you had your power electronics war against noise, harsh noise, which was kind of yeah, like yeah. East Coast rappers versus West Coast rappers, you know? There was right. the West Coast noise guys, the East Coast noise guys. There was the power electronic guys, the guys who, you know. And I had made yeah. a few comments because, you know, I, you know, like I said, the people from the Banana Fish article, they know I grew up in a mafia family. I've been in the Army. I've seen killing. I've seen death. I've seen a lot of shit. So, I mean, I know who, yeah. you know, I know what the real deal is. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. when people walk around and I see these people, they're walking around, you know, strangling women and all these different yeah. things and all that. I'm like, okay, a little bit of that. I'm like, some of these guys really are portraying themselves, not their art, but themselves yeah. as being that kind of person. Now, right. people like Michael Contreras from Death Squad, he actually cut himself. Yeah and did some extreme right. things and bled and did some physically intense things to himself. And that, you know, that's right. the real deal. I mean, I myself, yeah. like I said, have been exposed to things. But, you know, some of that stuff became conflict when people would say things about, oh, well, you know, power electronics are so much better than noise. And, I, and then I would respond, yeah. you know, well, fuck that. I think noise is good. And I don't have to brag about killing women because you know what? You couldn't. You couldn't. Like if I, all the yeah. hookers I know would take a razor blade and slit your throat. Yeah. So that's yeah. the reason why I went off on that thing. Those are the only two real areas of conflict I think I ever really had. Within the scene, okay. Pretty much. Um, and, you know, you've written some, like, you know, I, you, you told me you're a, you have a background in journalism, mm -hmm. and this, this, this article you wrote, um, mm -hmm. The Current State of American Noise, is mm -hmm. also quite iconic and, and quite important. And another text that I'm, I can't remember where it's from, but I think it's from something else. Um, is, you know, extremely profound and unpretentious, but profound kind of summary of noise that I think is really the crux of it. And that's, you know, I have it right here. I'll read it off. It's a, you know, more like a mirror. We reflect society. Some things you might not ordinarily look at. A dark and perversely twisted photojournalism. Freaks and other like-minded individuals aren't the only people who can look past isms and ologies to find a relevant voice. Noise is as old as millions of years of volcanic eruption and mountain erosion. The modern industry of metal and machines right. added more to this mix. All we do is use everything at our disposal to record the true power that had been filling the airwaves since the beginning of time. That's still true. It couldn't be more true. I mean, like I said, at the end of everything, the end of days the only two things that will be left will be nothingness and noise there won't be an earth we're going to a smaller than a, a charcoal briquette <laughs> we're going to be that from coleman when this earth ends when the black hole comes and when the stars yeah die. so like i said nothing humans really do is important because nothing we're not going to leave anything significant behind we could cure cancer tomorrow it's not going to matter because human beings are not going to they're not going to live and even if they go to other planets and go to other spaces, there's only so much that human beings will ever be able to accomplish. And none of it, from what we've seen so far, is really worth an immortal legacy. I mean, I think that maybe death is kind of an ordained end, and in no religious way, but it's kind of a thing that naturally is meant to happen. I think, you know, stars die, we're going to die, the Earth is going to die, our galaxy will die. Part of our universe will die. Other new universes are being created all the time. The most important book I've read 
in the last five years is Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmic Queries. Everybody needs to read that. I mean, if you're still hung up on the religion bullshit, read Neil deGrasse Tyson, please. And after all those things die, will noise still exist? Noise, yeah, of course it will, because the, there's space. I mean, space is a vacuum, and we don't hear the noise in space. But right now, actually, with this brand new telescope, we've never, that deep space SETI, the deep space science project that has always been trying to intercept radio waves and other electronic communications from deep space, that was never, uh, ever confirmed. We never really got any kind of transmission that was significant. Um, the Hubble telescope never picked up anything like that. This new telescope, however, has picked up some pulsations and some sounds, which actually might be from almost the origin of the universe that could be some type of electronic communication. So that's you know worth looking into. But there is noise. Of course there's noise. There's noise like if there's volcanic activity and there's erosion and that on Earth, there's certainly meteor crashes and everything in space. So just think of the reverberations of one meteor crash when they asteroids hit each other. That noise must carry for... But then space is a vacuum, so who's actually going to hear it? Like if a tree falls in the forest, does it really fall? Who hears it, right? That could Exactly. Be. Yeah. Uh, um, can you tell about the 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 collaboration time or the, the period of Macroninfo when Leo from Armenia was mm-hmm. was in Macroninfo? Mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, I met Leo. Leo was a Leo was a great uh, a great contact. He uh, was another young one that contacted me. Another young person. I think uh, Dominic uh, from Hospital Recordings had uh, contacted mm-hmm. me about a similar time. This must have been about, I guess, about ninety five, ninety six, maybe. And um, Leo contacted me, you know, quite quite about the same time. And you know, he had a passion. He had a real passion in Latin America. You know, I have, some, like I said, I have a little bit of roots down in Latin America myself, mm-hmm. part, of my, part of my 17 different nationalities. And um, so, you know, we communicated right away. And uh, at that time, Ecuador was experiencing, I mean, I sent him $5 U.S. once. And for the $5 I sent him, he was able to get a meal, a hooker, weed, send me back to America weed for himself and a hotel room for the weekend so this was about you know the middle of the night i think i think the the brazilian dollar was worth like one cent or something you know so and he's ecuador so that's that's even a worse economy than brazil yeah so when i met leo things were like desperate and he was and you could see it in his work i mean his work had an intensity and had a thoughtfulness and the art packaging and his friends that are artists they really put together a very so when I, you know, couldn't work with Tim anymore, it was a natural. Leo had already become almost like a family member. So, you yeah. know, writing back and forth, that was another person that I communicated with quite a bit with, with letters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you learn someone and learn their internal way of thinking besides what they produce as their product or their art, mm-hmm. their merch, um, you know, yeah. you kind of like, you know, you know a person. So I felt that the fit was right at that time. And I know there's, mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a little bit of a debate, you know, are the macro releases with Leo, are they legitimate macro releases? That's not anything that anybody needs to really worry about except me. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. 
Right on. Um, is he? St- what, what's the current constellation of? Oh, what we're doing now. Who's, who- we got a. Um, we have this project here, Amplexus, and it's a brand new mm-hmm. Amplexus with the sexual mating position of frogs, okay. and it's a freaking awesome project that Leo and I are going to start because I promised Greg at Dada Drumming that I would exclusively feign any offers from any new Macronympha releases until 2022. I'll be doing mm-hmm. one for Victor with Leo back in 2022, but for the next, you know, I mean, I mean, for 2024, excuse me, <laughs> 2024. Okay, okay. So for the next two years, okay. from 2022 to 2024, there will yeah. be no other macro releases than the stuff that's coming out on Dada Drumming. Okay. I'm doing a recording for Old Europa Cafe, which a lot of it's already finished. I need Brentnell and all to go ahead in the studio and finish the uh, final mastering for me. But he's pretty busy during the summer, so I'll probably wind up sending it to him in the fall. And uh, cool. that will be that Macronympha project. But that's why I branched out to do some OVMN and some One Dark Eye recordings, because I want to honor mm-hmm. my commitment to Greg to just have, mm-hmm. he's putting out a live Macronympha album by the holidays of the performance mm-hmm. we just did in June. And he cool. also has, I think, about 30 or 40 hours worth of stuff I recorded for him last year that he's going to put together maybe one or two releases from when he can get production and edit. Because and, he just sent me a recorder and said, fill it up, and I did. You know, I've gotten so many different varieties of styles. There's cut-ups, there's metal, there's every little variety that I do. So there's going to be a, quite a bit of work for him to yeah. piece together what he's going to release as, a, as an album. Cool. Which Macron Info release are you the proudest of? Oh, I know. That's the, those are those are all tough. I just, you know, I don't know. I guess, you know, or I mean, what I think I don't even want to limit it to one. I would like to hear three, maybe three that you really are like. Those are the. Okay, well, that's 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 a little. I mean, of course, you know, everybody's going to always, you know, put Pittsburgh as the highest of of all. So of course, I Pittsburgh is, you know, that's that was yeah. probably, you know. And then, of course, you know, I mean, Intensive Care, the CD, was one I worked on. You know, that's the kind of Intensive Care was actually the title, not just of my father's uh, condition in the hospital, but also, you know, the amount of work put into it. I think I spent 72 straight hours without sleep or eating or anything, just, you know, editing on Whoa. the four track, you know, so some of those tracks. And then Patrick wasn't satisfied with some of the initial tracks that they weren't quite, because I think I had repeated some. Thing. So I had to cut some stuff out, and then you know, mm-hmm. and so uh, I put it in, made all the tracks different, and then uh, you know that you know took a lot of work, and then I don't know, melting softly at the time always comes back to me because that's I had to run through every part of my house to record different motors and different things and put it together, yeah. but that's a quieter one. But if you're talking about sure. the bombastic stuff, I mean, Jesus, you know, there's just so much that I just love. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. just love the heart. I just love it. But I just, how do you pick a child? How do you pick your favorite child? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Have, I had three cats. How do I pick my favorite cat? You know? <laughs> yeah, those, I mean, those are for sure. Those are for sure classics. I mean, those those are the three that I might I might name as you know, like the the crowning achievements. I would say, but and you know, I I interviewed Andy Bullis too mm-hmm. um, of Evil Moisture uh, a few weeks ago, and he also talked about his process of. Of, of editing and tape splicing and he also talked about that collaboration with 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 macronympha and mm-hmm. evil moisture mm-hmm. 
the tentacle. Uh, yeah, the tentacles of the octopus. Something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like as his, I think, proudest release, and you know, he talked about his his editing process there. The the the, the cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something you still would approach in this way? Like this, do you still cut up in that kind of way? You know, um, when he was collaborating with us, I was supplying most of the harsh low-end crunch stuff mm-hmm. and roger did a lot of the cut-ups so roger mm-hmm. i think is you know probably underappreciated as a person who after andy got into the cut-up thing because roger's mm-hmm. fantastic at the cut-up thing because of how he, yeah. you know puts his samples together and you know yeah. then endo came along yeah and then at the same time endo came along chris sickness came along right. and chris sickness i think is groundbreaking for the fact that he went modular and he was one of the first people that did his cut-ups modularly and not just slamming down pedal you know pedal pedals on and off switches so you have that kind of cut-up so andy's kind of cut-up was almost an original thing i Mm -hmm. really you know credit evil moisture if you look at the triple r catalog andy's was the first release like that that triple r had was his yeah. release, were his releases that yeah. did that massive frantic you know make your head spin around in circles cut up and yeah. you know and then like i said and then endo and chris came along and then but you know but that but roger was doing that too and roger was doing it before endo and chris so you know so roger was fantastic at doing that splash cut up stuff so For that's sure. you know that's 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 that stuff it's not my style really i do it sometimes like when yeah. i want to play live sometimes I'll have like 20 samples of a track that I can just go and just like go smash, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just have that effect, almost like using a sampler. But I also like, you know, but I I kind of enjoy the the, the live tweaking and the sounds and the this and the whole the whole live event. You know, like I said, I kind of I kind of enjoy that. And then uh, for the studio stuff, some of what I sent, uh, some of what I sent Greg is cut ups. I think I sent him two. Or four tracks out of maybe 22 tracks that maybe added up to 40 hours. I think I sent about 22 tracks, 24 tracks total, and I think four of them are are cut up tracks. So yeah, cool. you know, not all the time. Yeah, I mean, I I associate like like the Pittsburgh LP, and I think it's even marked this way. Like the A side is like Roger mix, and it's like the more yes. cut up, and then the B side yeah. is like this heavy, and it's that's like the Joe song. mix, yeah, and yeah, yeah, that's mine. That's what I mean. Exactly. I love that shit. I mean, that's and that's yeah, also that's very. Opinion. That's also very, you know, proto kind of American 2000s noise and, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of eventually developed into harsh noise wall, so to speak, with Sam McKinley. That's, you know, that yeah, sound, yeah, yeah. Is, you know, the OVMN sound. I mean, mm-hmm. can you speak a little bit about OVMN and what, what exactly that project's approach and, and goal is and what how that specifically differentiates from Macronympha? Well, well, when I heard Sam's stuff, I mean... When I put out, um, you know, Noise War and then started to put feelers out to do follow-up type compilations, and I came out with Underground USA and Underground Canada, um, you know, the, the Canadian bands were awesome. I mean, when Sam sent me stuff, and, you know, two assistant deputy ministers sent me stuff, yeah. but, but Sam's was unique. And, I mean, Sam kind of went more for, you know, what Macronymph was most extreme crunch sound was. He had that like yeah. an ecstatic all the time wall of noise. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, when he did tracks for me, I had to edit some of them because to fit the different projects. 
So I mm. edited a few of his tracks, and but then you know I, I kind of figured that this was going to be a you know a, an all out kind of like a thing type thing. So mm -hmm. I really respected his work there, and I you know I tried to help him get you know any kind of exposure I could or whatever, and you know tell people that he was good. And I think Patrick yeah. put one of his things out right away from self abuse mm -hmm. and all that. So uh, you know so that was um, how you know how I you know saw that wall of noise kind of develop, and then you know OVMN was always optimum volume maximum noise so i had you know the macronympha variety going where i always would like to have the dynamics of you know up and down changes screeching feedback mixed with the metal yeah. mixed with you know cosmic overload from the motors but yeah. for ovmn i figured you know just take everything turn it all up and make it into crunch make it into yeah. almost you know white noise purple noise red noise you can see colors and noise if you really get into it for sure and so you know and so i figured let's just try it that way and so i had some leftover work from third organ that i was able to crank and that's the first one that comes in a case mm -hmm. and then uh you know there was another collaboration and then i just did one that was just leftover macro tracks just by playing with it in the recorder and coming up with that crunch sound i think some yeah. of that was like reverse some of it was slowed down now some mm -hmm. of my uh, tricks are like doing things like octave dropping and yeah. and other things like that when i'm layering you know so yeah. you know so but that but back then that's kind of how the ovms started is a more extreme version of macronympha and now like i said ovmn is more of a side project that doesn't really copy macronympha so it can be sure. more wall of noisy like the record yeah. i just did with sam the reader on purpose yeah. because we yeah. just did a record and i made the you know a wall of noise track but my yeah. ovmn land of the zombies isn't really yeah. wall of noise it's kind of it's 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 constant noise right but it's got samples of zombie voices it has yeah. mechanical sounds it has voices and sounds from the dungeon downstairs it has you know it's a, it's a, it has some of the metal it has some of this you know it has some of this yeah. stuff all mixed in with it you know yeah so i mean that kind of stuff is uh you know as into it it's kind of this kind of stuff constantly in the background it's not like you know beat you up kill you noise which normally yeah. would normally would like you know be very brutal and very aggressive this is more like this is this kind of noise is more you know swell not, yeah it's a little more quiet so that kind yeah of cool awesome yeah i'm excited about that split i'm excited about everything that's that's coming up do you do you want to um Kind of let us know. You've you've mentioned quite a few things, but maybe you know let us know what what you got coming up in the in the next oh, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. six like, months well, like or so. Said, like um, yeah, Greg's album is I think the um the 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 thing that's most on my mind now because um it involved uh, John and Henry both, so they're excited mm -hmm. about it too because they're cool. you know they're they're, they're happy to, they were happy to, and I was happy to have them. You know, it was, it was great. Yeah. I think um, cool. I don't know. I think oh here, I have um this is the new. This is the new Koma Sutra. Oh, yeah, that, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a lathe cut. I don't know if it's available, though, but um, Greg just put that out, and, it, and, and I think some people will be getting that, that 10-inch lathe cut. I think cut. it's, isn't it, isn't it, is it Greg, or I think it's AAD, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think, but Greg had it, um, it was our collaboration project. Yeah. So I got them yeah, 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 Greg. Yeah. But I think, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was the other label that put them out. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, but Greg cool. Was yeah, I'm hoping to get some of those soon. Yeah, he did for the, the mastering, he, um, and he's the one that sent them to me. Cool, so yeah, cool, so cool. that's coming. And like I said, the other the other project. And then um, 
And what else? Oh, there's the um, Granny Bangers project we did with uh, Smell and Quim. We did a, uh, we did. He did Old Spunkers, like four tracks, and it's like Old Spunkers, and it has like these like Granny samples of like getting nailed on a bed. And then I have the Macronympha tracks, you know, are like, you know, oh, honey, it's so, you know, I think I got yeah. some of that stuff like, uh, oh, honey, it's so big and all that kind of stuff. And it's pretty yeah. cool. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is uh, is going to be on there. But um, I think the guy that's putting that out is um, the BF label. He's in Chicago now. Okay. You know, Jake Dubois, Jake Dubois. Oh, yeah. B bacteria Field. Yeah, yeah. Bacteria Field. Like this is uh, yeah, this yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah, like this kind of stuff here, I think, would be like, uh, you know, like this kind of stuff, I think, you know, is kind of like in the... Oh, my gosh. That's quite the toy problem, yeah. Mm. So that kind Great. of stuff. Great. Great. Oh, yeah. Oh, Grannies need love too, you know. So we got that. So we got that coming out, you know. Sex with geriatric people. The images are going to be real cool with that too. Some fusty stuff. And let's see what else we got coming out. We got. Uh, trying to think what else we got coming out. We got uh, another project that I'm going to be doing with Chris Sickness. We're going to do cool. something. We're going to do an album for Ewan. So after this Rita OVMN album is done. Mm -hmm. That'll be a uh, that'll be a macro album, and great. that'll you know a macro split with uh, with Chris. Oh, great! That'll okay, be so like split. time so that it doesn't interfere with uh, with Greg's stuff. Sure. Cool. And then what else? I think there's uh, more Amplexus is coming with Leo. Then we have um, a project called Necrotica that I'm doing mm -hmm. with John Grimaldi from Hand to Knee. There's a lot mm -hmm. of great Pittsburgh bands out right now. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of Allardy, stuff in uh, yeah. Pennsylvania related. Slacking, you know, a lot of those. A lot of those yeah, things. slacking. Ramirez is in, is in Pittsburgh now, and Werewolf Jerusalem exactly. and all that is here. And, and know, Jim so from Fusty, too. I mean, Pardon? right? Jim from Fusty, too, is living in, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, he mentioned, yeah. He mentioned yeah. to me, like, oh, you know, because yeah. I mentioned to him I was talking to you, and he was like, you should do it in person. Like, you, we could all, you know, meet here in because okay. I would love to do an episode of the podcast in his house, like check out his collection, you know, like because I know yeah. he has a wild collection of noise and stuff like that. So we, he, he mentioned that you know, you, Richard, and him are all the way my travels. I pass by his office, so I've stopped and seen him a few times. We've cool. swapped stuff. It's cool. Cool. I saw him yeah, play live cool. too when he played with uh, the Black Over Jesus when the Striations was here in town. Yeah, he was on the bill that night. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Can you tell me what your top five noise releases of all time are? You have you have this epic list that you posted in a magazine. Oh, I know. <laughs> you have this, I know. You have this list in the magazine, top one hundred, and I know the top one hundred. I know. But can That's you just, just fr know. from your mind right now? You know, it doesn't have to be exclusive, but like the top five macro, the top five noise releases for you, like most influential, most important. The, you know, stuff that I would probably, um, you know. I don't know. The stuff I would listen to now is different than the stuff that I listened to back then. So, 
that list. Yeah. It's kind of like when you write a manifesto. It's like it's 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 current for that moment. You right. Know? And it's kind of like valid and rigid, and it's sun. It's like almost like a mission statement for the time yeah. that you're in. You know. Exactly. But but as you grow, things change. You know. Right. So your ideas change. You may want to say something different. You may want to continue to say things. So right. it's kind of it's, it's kind of, it's kind of that way too. So I you know I really don't know those hundred greatest noise releases. I mean I'm sure I would have a, a whole different set now, but um, you know it's 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 hard for me to, to do that actually. I really I really can't I really can't pick that. That's okay. something I really can't. I pick. you know I'm not going to force you. It, it's a question I, I ask every guest. I listen to, I listen to so much that I really yeah. can't. I mean it's like you know what category what. You know what yeah. genre? What you know? Who? What? How? Yeah. You know the most brutal, the most brutal, the most creative. The, you right. know the ones that I would like take on a desert island. You know that. Yeah, there's yeah, so yeah. many variables. You know. Yeah. What about some some new artists or new projects or new releases in the past? You know, of the newer generation that you're mm-hmm. that you're digging that you that you think are worth checking out and people should check out well i loved all all of tim's stuff tim's stimbox stuff was like you know that was a little bit of a newer generation than our first stuff that started so when tim's stuff and chris's sickness and stuff came along that i thought was really top-notch stuff and then after yeah. that you know as uh is like the 2000s got here and everything and i started hearing some of the local guys here in pittsburgh you know that stuff that uh henry and the pittsburgh you know uh pa hypno center stuff yeah. was really and then john grimaldi contacted me um and, and that stuff was awesome um you know every now and then friends of mine would send me new recordings by government alpha and mm. some of the japanese folks that i had fallen out of contact with like you know even yeah. the words of our releases and they were great and then a lot of times you know i catch stuff on youtube now so you know yeah. a lot of times i you know i'll look up and i'll see people performing and uh you know so i catch up with them that way um, I love I love Brentnell's new stuff. That's what I'm listening yep. to now. A lot of is the new, you know, his new album, not just the Macrosonic, but his own individual albums. Yeah. Um, you know, I listen to a lot of that, and uh, and then for the harsh stuff, you know, um, I listen to some of the striation stuff. He sent me, Mike sent me something on his label that was really really well done, and then he sent me some Astro stuff from Hiroshi. I listened to mm-hmm. some of Hiroshi stuff recently that was really really well. I think there's yep. a there's a there's a CD here too. I just got called Sex, and okay. it is a compilation of, it says, volume four of a series of ruminations on the aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And it has, uh, you know, no joy, genital sewer, pleasure, us, mm-hmm. hedia, crepuscular entity. Really Damn. good stuff on here. I didn't. I that's had like not noise. That's har- is that harsh noise? Leo, yeah, Leo set it up. Crazy. That's where all those are all new names to me. Yeah, and this is a label called um, Basement Corner Emissions. Okay. Basement Corner Emissions. So I've been listening to that because someone sent it to me recently, and I, you know, I I cool. listen to stuff as soon as I get it. I'll try to you know listen to it, and yeah. uh, I don't know. Like I said, I've gone back. I listened to some Control Bleeding again that I used to listen to a long time ago, like Flembag, yep. Spatter, Hogs Floor. Those were classics. Yeah. I mean, that stuff yeah. really, you know. When I heard that, yeah. I go, that's that's American noise. That's what I want to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of yeah, like, yeah. that was kind of an inspiration to kick off the American noise style. For, for sure. Me, anyway. I can see that. Because the haters weren't really, sure. the haters weren't really heavy enough for me. I mean, I sure. like the haters. I love their live yeah. show. I thought that their yeah. whole Dadaist, 
you know, yeah. performance was just genius. Yeah. But, yeah. and, you know, and couldn't have a nicer guy, you know. But yeah. I mean, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, but their hard stuff was good, that one or two albums, but then, you know, live and everything, they were a lot quieter. But control right. bleeding right from the start. As soon as you put that thing in, I mean, they ripped yeah. your ears off from start to finish. And Paul For Lemos sure. was kind enough. He had already retired by then from making noise. He was kind mm -hmm. enough to respond to me and give me a track for Noise War, which cool. was you know, so which was really oh, cool. nice. Okay, so that was nice. he was already he was already gone by that he'd time. Already yeah, quit, yeah, he'd already quit Noise by then because I think Noise War came out in 93, 93, yeah. yeah, 93. So he'd already like around 91, he had stopped making it because Hogs Floor and all of those had come out earlier. And so by then he said, oh, no, I don't want to I don't want to like uh, do anything new now. But I yeah. did. I kind of begged him and told him how you know much of an inspiration he was and who else was yeah. going to be on the compilation. And then he did send me a track finally, so that was nice of him. Killer, that's great. You know, people like New Blockaders were a big uh, inspiration too, because because Richard Rapinos always stressed reusing sources that already have been created. You could mm -hmm. take one source and turn it into yeah. two thousand different yeah. variations of something yeah and that yeah. right there you know was and then and, and then you know art is anti-heart is art you know and that yeah. whole you know anti that was just genius and i just i was yeah. always been a big inspiration to ron lassard is another one that turned me on to that too from you know from triple r and that i always thank ron for that too i mean for the sure. new blockaders collections he had in his catalog were just you know they were phenomenal are you in touch with ron these days I called him, I think, a year ago or so and uh, spoke with him. He had, uh, you know, he's got basically at the store now. I think people stop right. by. I know people yeah. come by and, like, kind of pay homage. I heard, he, you know, every now and then I, I, he had a medical issue. But the last time I talked to him, he was feeling fine. It might cool. not have even been a year ago. It might have been two years ago. But I know that yeah. I did call him at the, uh, at the store and that he yeah. did speak with me for a few minutes. I asked him if he, uh, you know, was, uh, was doing okay and everything and, all that. Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think he distributes much new anymore. I'm not sure, but right. I didn't really, yeah. I didn't really bug him for business. I just wanted to see him how he was doing as a friend. Yeah, yeah. Are you in touch with many people from like those like heavy macronym like mid '90s days? Are you still in touch with some people? Oh, am I still in touch with some of the people? Um, well, you know, I've seen Richard now a couple times since he's moved to Pittsburgh. Seen, I've mm -hmm. seen Richard. Um, I know Leo has emailed and sent me emails and we've you know i've told him things to say to people like you know kusafaka from k2 and mm -hmm. um who else now uh one of our other japanese friends i think it was um i think it was third organ yeah mm -hmm. i think it was third organ mm -hmm. and then i think he's been in touch with maybe highwear too mm -hmm. and yeah. uh then who else I recently spoke with Rodolfo, like I said, from Italy, to, to you know, mm -hmm. to, to, to tell him that I will do something for him. Mm -hmm. um, spoken to, uh, I'm trying to think now. I run into people at live shows every now and then, so you know, yeah. like Daniel Mensch or somebody like that, you know. Yeah. Well, so I mean, you know, the modes of the modes of the most of communication have changed so much in the past years, and you know, you're, yeah, you were like a. I know a dedicated label uh letter writer and you know right 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 for a while then it was emails but now it's even like most like some people just do instagram purely which oh, is like kind of text yeah see i don't do yeah, any yeah. of that stuff i don't do any of that yeah. so i just text or i email 
yeah, yeah. I call it but I mean, phone. I also, I, I've also, I mean, I've also found you a, a little bit elusive because you had an, you had a, an email address for a while, and then it's mm-hmm. something new now. So I mean, do you want mm-hmm. people to know that they should contact you, or, 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 or oh yeah, they can or contact. Rather, yeah, they can contact. They can contact me. That's what I have okay. that macro data seven for Gmail. So that's fine. Yeah. Okay. So macro data seven at Gmail. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Okay. Cool. Sweet. So, one final question for you: mm-hmm. what What do you think? What is the current state of American noise? You know, I think it's been. Let's put it this way: it's saturated. You know, I mean, so many people are doing it, but it's not a bad thing. I mean, you have to sift through it, you know, and you have to sit and you have to see why people are doing it. But I mm-hmm. tell you, I've been impressed with some. Uh, with some live performances I've seen, especially, and it's a funny thing, because the same thing's kind of happening in guitar music, but it's kind of like women, you know? Women are playing some really hardcore shit on guitar and really, really taking that, you know, that cock rock thing to a next level, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen some really intense female noise performances lately. Yeah. And uh, I've pretty much been impressed. So if that continues, then I'm pretty sure that um, if that continues, I think we're going to be fine. I think you know yep. people are going to get more comfortable in it. Minorities, immigrant yep. people, I see more people. Everybody's getting into it yep. now, and it's getting yep. more accepted. And yep. people don't know because there's a name there. So they don't know right. who you are. Everybody's yeah. just judging people on the sound the way it should be. Yeah. And yeah. that's just and that's what I'm seeing now. The younger generation is less concerned about who you are rather than what yeah. you're doing. And that yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. But but what I'm noticing though is a little bit of you know, a little bit of t- you know, timidity or temerity, however you want to put it, mm-hmm. to express their uh, innermost desires and innermost mm-hmm. feelings. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a little bit of I won't say political correctness because that denigrates us liberals, but yeah. I would say that I would say that there's a little bit of of, of I don't know reluctance to make sure. a stand, stand for something, say something controversial, give an opinion, right. you know, get yeah. out there, and that that yeah. to me is sad because part of your art should be revealing who you are, yeah. and you know, and going forward with some kind of an inner drive and inner energy and that's what makes it pure that's what makes your art pure so i would like to see a little more of that intensity but i'm not i'm not impervious to just enjoying the sound you know i'm into the sound so the sound's fine the sound cuts it and the sound is fine yeah all right great is there anything else you'd like to uh mention or add or 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 let us know about no shout anyone out uh, Thanks for the opportunity to clear a few things up and to talk to everybody. And uh, I just hope everybody stays, you know, stays with it, doesn't get too down, stays safe, listens to science. I mean, science knows what they're talking about. And, uh, you know, just keep appreciating the fact that we can do this, that we can make our noise, we can make our statements, we can live our lives the way we want, and uh, we don't have chains around our neck, you know. So, you know, that's about it, man. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the people you love. Yeah. This is the one I love. Oh. <laughs> What's his this name or her name? 
hey baby you're bugging <laughs> me all all interview long now you finally got on camera cameo great cool all right joe thank you so so much i really really appreciate it it was an honor it was great fun it was a pleasure really appreciate it and people will love to hear from you and i hope people you know reach out to you as well and well, uh, you thank you for all you've you done a, for you, know, you have a lot you have a lot that you're doing yourself so stay in touch i'll gladly send you uh you know things to review look at throw around to your friends whatever just stay in touch and uh and we'll be speaking again i'm sure for sure man and thank you for all your contributions and everything take care enjoy your sunday and talk to you soon i will all the best thanks for tuning in to white centipede noise podcast Please head over to patreon.com slash white centipede noise to support this show.